Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. We're continuing on in our series about discipleship and We've been talking about how Jesus is the teacher, and we've framed this series classes in session because Jesus says he wants to make disciples, and he wants us to be disciple makers. Um, oh, wow. That's a B. The enemy tried to take me out. Wow. He just, like, descended like a dove. Power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Joy. Joy, you. I needed you when the bee was coming at me, dog. Fearless warrior. All right. Uh, So we're talking about discipleship. And one of the things that you see Jesus doing, right, is you see him performing miracles. You see him doing all these incredible things. And he's taking the disciples with him. In fact, he has the disciples Uh, There's a point where he sends the disciples out and they actually do miracles. And so part of discipleship is sending people out to do the work that Jesus did. And so one of the things that we do as a church is discipleship is not only getting you to meet God and meet people, but it's also equipping you to serve more effectively in your community, that you could be like Jesus in your community helping people, bringing healing to other people, loving people effectively. But I can tell you this has been one of the biggest challenges in New York City in making disciples. And the challenge is um, when we are trying to do things in the area of service, oftentimes you're, you're, the, the challenge has been the, the, the talent level in New York City. You see, so many of you are wildly talented. I mean, beyond what I could even imagine. I mean, like, you you can sing and dance and act and draw and, I mean, you know, and I wish I was like some of y'all, because if I'm not preaching, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably working, I'm a garbage man. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not doing this. I I don't have another skill. That's it. So many of you are wildly skilled. And the challenge in discipleship is often, sometimes our most talented people only want to do what they're talented at. And this is the crazy thing. If I was Jesus, I would try to get the most talented. Don't we do that in any organization? You try to find the most talented people, and you unleash them on the world. And that's just not how Jesus made disciples. Because if that's what he would have done, auditions, right? <laughs> Let me see. Let me walk on water. Okay, I thought so, right? He, do, he does all these, ta- but he did not do auditions. In fact, he chose people that we would never choose to be apostles. You would never choose them. And part of the reason why Jesus does that is because he is not looking for the talented. He's looking for the faithful. And far too often, talented people only want to do 
what they're talented at. Now, don't get me wrong. God has given you a gift. He's given you a unique gift and a unique calling. And your gifting and skill set is a part of what God has called you to do. But let me tell you, if Jesus has called you to do something, it goes beyond your gifting. The assignment on your life will go beyond your gifting. Because you, he is going to put you in a position where you are going to have to be dependent on him, not just your skill set. So that's why people want to do what they're talented at, because basically what they're doing is, I want to do what comes easy to me. Yeah. Me too. Shoot. <laughs> I want to do what comes easy to me too. Honestly, I just want to walk in here every Sunday and be like, hey guys, and just dig it up here and talk, because I like talking. <laughs> but that's not the only thing I'm called to do. And people are limited in their assignment from God because they only want to do what they always been doing. And that's how we set people up. We're like, well, you're talented at this, so we'll put you over here. And so people come into the church, we're like, well, I'm really good at this already, so I'd like to do this. But we'd like you to do that too. But we're, we're not a talent search. This is not a talent search. This is discipleship. And discipleship goes beyond your gifting. Of course, we want people in their gifting and skill set, but it goes beyond your gifting. It goes beyond your skills. It's amazing. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Speaking of the disciples, the scripture says the Sanhedrin, this was a group of educated people who know the scriptures inside and out. And while they're there, Jesus does this amazing thing. He, he's got these disciples. He's raised them up. And then in Acts chapter 4, here's what it says. The Sanhedrin is there, and it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common, or untrained men, they were astonished. The Sanhedrin, this most educated people, are astonished. Basically, like, why would, you, why would Jesus want these guys to speak for them? They don't have enough education to speak before us. They don't have enough training. But look at the next part. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Jesus chose uneducated, untrained, unskilled, but he knew when I put them in the room, they will look like me. And if we're trying to do anything when it comes to service, we're trying to get you to look like Jesus, not just your skill set, not just your talent. And if you really want to be used by God, you will go beyond your skills. You'll go beyond your talents. So look here in John 14, John 14, verses 12 through 14. John 14, verses 12 through 14. Let's read that together. John 14, verses 12 through 14. Uh, we're going to start right there on truly, truly, on three. One, two, three. Truly, truly. always read this verse, and I've always stopped at the first part. It says, greater works you'll do. And you know, I'm sitting there thinking, awesome, man. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do something amazing that God wants me to do. But one of the things that I think we lack 
is, the, is, is continuing in that verse. Because Jesus says, greater works you'll do. Okay, you seen the works I did? Y'all seen all the stuff I did? Y'all gonna do that. And, and we're all like, sign me up. Sign me up, baby. Walk on water, I'm for it. Yes, miracles. <laughs> Then verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this, who will do it? I'll do it, he says. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says, again, he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus, who's doing it? Are we doing it or are you doing it? Is this like when my wife asked me to wash the dishes? My wife would be like, baby, can you just wash the dishes? Just come on, help out. And so I'm washing the dishes, and it's taking me like 20 minutes on one dish. And my wife would be like, you know what? Go ahead. Get out of here. I'll do it. And I'm like, <laughs> my evil plan has worked. Is it just Jesus saying, get out the way, let me do it? Because we're so ineffective. Or is this a union, a partnership? Jesus says, you'll do greater works, but you're going to have to ask me to do it. So Jesus never saw his work outside of his presence and power. So what is essential is not you doing the work. It is you being spiritually dependent. He says, you'll do greater work, but you got to ask me to do it. You're going to have to be submitted to me in union with me. Think about the work of Jesus. Jesus turned water into wine. Just in John, just in the book of John, we saw him turn water into wine. We saw him heal a lame man. We saw him heal a blind man. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. So part of what you see Jesus doing in his work is you see him causing life change in people. This is what we would call a demonstration, a demonstration of his power. He demonstrated his ability to change lives. But if you track in the book of John, Jesus has all these statements. They're called I am statements where he says, you know, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I'm the true vine. Jesus in that moment was proclaiming. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he was proclaiming himself as king. So Jesus not only wanted to demonstrate his power, but he also wanted to proclaim his power. If you look here in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus giving almost a job description. Luke chapter 4, it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and it was his custom when he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why does he even say that? Why would he even say that? Maybe he's demonstrating that he's spiritually dependent. Yes, praise God. Because he was anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight 
to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes are all in, in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Look what he says. Proclaim good news. Proclaim liberty. Proclaim the Lord's favorable year. So he's saying, part of my work is to proclaim freedom. But he also demonstrated freedom as well. He proclaimed that there was a kingdom, not of this world, but he demonstrated the power of that kingdom. Therefore, the works of Jesus were and are a demonstration and a proclamation of the kingdom of God. The disciple of Christ, therefore, must be spiritually dependent on Jesus to not only proclaim, but to demonstrate the kingdom of God on earth. That is, that's the work. It is proclamation and demonstration of a kingdom, not of this world. And we are part of that kingdom now. And God has radically changed our lives. So we read stuff like that, and we're like, bet. Proclamation, demonstration, I'm with it. We read about Jesus turning water into wine and all those things. That's amazing. What is therefore radically important? What's radically important is I must be so tethered to the life of Jesus that I am a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And my words are a proclamation, but I'm the demonstration. You know what the problem is? Okay, Jesus turned water into wine, right? Jesus, Jesus healed a lame man. Jesus healed a blind man. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So when we see that story, right, we're like, there's Jesus and there's water. And he's going to turn into wine, right? And so you know what the problem is? We see ourselves as Jesus. We see ourselves as healing the lame man. We see ourselves as healing the blind man, like, I'm going to do Jesus. No, no, no. We were the wine. We're the water he turned into wine. We're the lame man he made to walk. We're the blind man he made to see. We're the demonstration. What does the wine need to do? It needs to still be whiny. You know what I'm saying? It needs to still be that good wine. The lame man, as he begins to walk, he just begins to walk. And what does he say? How did you begin to walk? Jesus. Because his miracle becomes his demonstration. The greatest work, the primary work you must remember is that you want to be involved in the work. No, no, no. You were once the work. You are the work of Jesus. You are the demonstration. You are the proclamation of the king. And where you go, his miracle is on display. Is not the salvation of Jesus a miracle? Do you remember when you were water and he turned you into wine? That's the miracle. That's the demonstration. Therefore, your life, living unto God, is the most important thing we can do to disciple you. That's the most important thing. Because in the illustration, you're the blind man. So he got to walk around with sight now. Therefore, We put so much emphasis on spiritual gifting, but I want to just emphasize two things today. The most essential thing we can do to unleash you for the assignment God has in your life in serving is to make sure that you are spiritually transformed and make sure you're spiritually dependent. 
Spiritual gifting is supposed to flow from that. So I was going to make a third point, but I'm like, no, y'all get what I'm saying. Y'all feel me. The most important thing that we can do is to make sure you're spiritually transformed and spiritually dependent. Spiritual transformation, Paul put it this way in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, y'all, if you continue to read in Romans 12, Paul starts talking about gifting. He literally lifts, lists off gifts. But he doesn't start by talking about gifts. He starts talking about being a living sacrifice. That's the first. So essentially, he says, the first thing we got to get right is you offering yourself. Now, why would I offer myself to God? Look what he says. In light of his mercy. So if I think God gave me $5 mercy, I'll give him $5 worth of myself. If he gave me $1,000 of mercy, I'll give him $1,000 of myself. And I, y- y'all get me. I'm not talking about money right now. If, if, he gave me, uh, if he gave me $10 million of mercy, then I'm going to give him $10 million of myself. It all depends on how much mercy you think you got. That's how much you will offer in return. That's why he says, in light of his mercy. How much light is on the mercy of God in your life? How much do you think he did for you? Where do you think you would be without the goodness and mercy of the Lord? That is an indication of what you will give back to him. That's why when it get, it's hard to get people to serve, I was like, you don't, you don't know. You just haven't seen them do enough. Because I know, listen, 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 listen. I'm about to start preaching now. <laughs> listen, listen, what, listen to what the psalmist said. Listen to what the psalmist says. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God then dwell in the tents of the wicked. Y'all got to understand, listen, a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper, the message puts it this way, I'd rather scrub floors in the house of God. The doorkeeper was the janitor, y'all. It was the person that did the lowest of work. And he's saying, he's saying that in the tents, in the tents, that's where the riches and the goodness are. And he says, but there's tents of the wicked. And what this person is giving is a testimony. It says, I used to hang out thousands of days in tents of the wicked. I had this big old tent that I'd live my life. But you know what? I had one day with Jesus and I've discovered that I'd rather one day or just make me a doorkeeper. I'll just scrub the floors in the house of the Lord but I know about his goodness and mercy on my life. So you don't have to put me up front. You don't have to have me in a special position. I'd be a doorkeeper in the house of God. You know what David said? It's an honor to serve the living God. And we've lost this. In the body of Christ, we've lost this. Because people are like, okay, doorkeeper, what's next? Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm just not a scrub floor kind of person. You have something that fits me. Here's my Myers Briggs. Find something that's. I'm an Enneagram Four. I'm an Enneagram Four. Can we do something that fits me? I don't, that's not a good fit. That's not a good fit for me. 
And that's in light of your gifting. What about in light of his mercy? So if you're spiritually transformed, you cannot believe God wants you in his house. When Jesus saved you, you are amazed that God would use you. And I've been jealous of people before. When I was younger in ministry, um, my wife and I, we, we moved to this one church plant to be a part of it. I was like 29, and the pastor was like, hey, I'm going to have you preaching. I was like, word, yes. And then he just didn't bring it up no more. And I'm like, hmm, I moved up here for this opportunity. <laughs> um, so I used to bring it up with him, and he was like, oh, yeah, things have changed. I was like, wow. I moved from Texas to North Carolina to be a part of this church. And I really struggled. And, one, and man, I, I would be giving him, like, I'd be squinting at him, like, real mad while he was preaching. Like, oh. <laughs> I would say amen, but in a re, real deep baritone, like, amen. <laughs> and I was mad, y'all. I was mad, mad. Every day. And I remember one day, everything changed. I was sitting back, back of the church. My wife had gone out of town. And while he was preaching, I could hear, God, James, you don't deserve to preach. That's your problem. You think you deserve to preach. You think you're such a good communicator. What if him overlooking you is part of my plan? Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because in that moment, I decided I'm going to stop trying to serve and impress this man, and I'm going to serve God. And I wanted to do anything to please God. And that transformed me. God opened up doors for me after that. And I'm not saying he opened up doors that were easier. I just want you to know, when a man or woman of God decides they want to be on assignment for God and willing to do anything, you know what God gives you? Anything. Anybody that wants easy assignments, praise God. Praise God for you. If you want an easy assignment from the Lord, only do what you think you can do. If you want an assignment from God, only do what you think God can do. Because he'll put you in a position where only he can do it. And it's scary and it's hard. So or door, you know, doors opened. They were scary. <laughs> so, the, so, so spiritual transformation, is, is that's, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to make sure that you are a transformed person. When we put you in growth groups, when we put you in Bible study, we're trying to make sure you're transformed, that you're growing in your transformation, that you, you, you were once water, and now you're operating like wine. And we're trying to grow you in that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that you're spiritually dependent. Look, look what Peter says. Peter says, above all, above all, of priority, 
Keep loving one another earnestly. So notice how he puts love at the top here. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This has nothing to do with gifting. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, welcome one another. Then he says in verse 10, as each has received a gift, listen to what it says, use it to serve one another. Now, he puts gifting there as a third element of what he talks about with loving people. And here's all I'm saying. When it comes to gifting, when you think about gifting, are you sitting there praying, God, use my gift so I can help more people? That's what you're thinking about? You are burdened to help more people? Because the people that burden me about their gifts, they're like, they want to be used more. But I don't hear, I don't, it doesn't feel like they want to help more people. You, you, they want their gifts on display. But it's not as, man, I just I have a burden for all these people. And, man, I want to help more people. And there's not enough people that know God. And, and, and I just want to use my gifts in order to, that's not what I hear. What I hear is, I don't feel like I'm being utilized well enough. I feel like I, 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 feel like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the way that I'm positioned. <laughs> need to be used some more. Underutilized in the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to help more people, I, there's some people that need help. We can find a way to help more people. But look what he says in verse 11. Whoever speaks as one speaks uh, oracles of God. Look, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So he says if you're serving you are dependent on God in his service. And then look at the last part. He says, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The spiritually dependent person becomes allergic to glory. Because they're like, I know it wasn't me. Oh, yeah, that had to be the Lord. Shoot, I was, I was praying the whole time. That, that's what you, that's what, that's just anybody that wants to be used more in the church, that's what I look for. Spiritually dependent people who you can tell they beg God to give them power to do a thing. And because of that dependence, they, they naturally give God the glory because they are so aware of their limitedness. You remember in, in, in verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. What if you started looking at the assignment on your life, where, where you feel like God's calling you, and there's things that you're looking at right now, you're like, well, I could see myself doing this, and I could see myself doing this, and I could see myself doing that, and I could see myself doing this. But when you get tethered to God, he will put urges on you where you stop seeing what you could do, and you're like, but God might want me to do something beyond me. And God brings you outside of yourself so he gets the glory exclusively exclusively. God does not want to share his glory. He wants to share his peace. He wants to share his love, but he will not share his glory. So he'll put you in a position where he will give his unlimited power to all your limitations. So he gets the glory exclusively. We must make sure we're training you to be a spiritually dependent person. What does spiritual dependence look like? 
Ephesians 5 says it this way. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Y'all know what debauchery is. <laughs> That's Jamaican for batteries. Debauchery. But, but be, sorry, I made it up on the spot. The spirit is, spirit's on me. But be filled with the spirit. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. That was God's presence. There's bees, there's debaucheries. Addressing one another, addressing one another, Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody of the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God uh, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So when the, when the Bible talks about, you know, some versions have being drunk in the spirit, <clears throat> it says don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. The filling of the spirit is a picture of being spiritually dependent. The filling of the spirit is not necessarily speaking in tongues. The filling of the spirit is being controlled by the spirit. That's what the word filling essentially means there. It means being controlled by the spirit. Now, that word control, do you like people controlling you? Absolutely not. <laughs> Right? You've, you've been around people like, they're controlling. Always trying to tell me what to do. They just, they like control. I can tell they have control issues. They like control. Uh, they just want me to do stuff I don't want. And when I don't want to do it, they got a problem with it. They, they got control issues. The spirit-filled person is controlled by the spirit. So controlled, the spirit of God is the authority over your life, so much so. And he says he gives evidence. Now, I could show Galatians and talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kind of all that. But I feel like this is, such a, this is such a wonderful picture when he talks about being drunk. Because the imagery of drunkenness is when you do things out of your character. Because y'all see some drunk people. People are like, well, what, did, what do you mean? Drunkenness. When that one uncle started saying everything he felt ever, he was like, he just drank. He just don't. He just because you're like it's the alcohol speaking, and 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 Paul is using drunkenness as a picture of the spirit's filling, because you're like, no, that's the spirit speaking. No, the spirit got them. Yeah, yeah, they doing stuff they never do, because they're controlled by the spirit. So the spirit's control causes you to go outside of yourself to not just be you. I just want to be me. No, no, I just want to be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, look, in verse 19, it talks about addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart. Now, we make a big deal about the psalms and the hymns, but I want you to notice when he says addressing one another, that there's a certain way that we speak to one another. And it's the Spirit's filling allows a joy-filled communication that, 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 I'm, that I have a melody in my heart. And so I'm a joyful person, not a cynical person, not a big complainer, not a person that lacks gratitude. I'm joyful. That's what it is. And it says addressing one another. So people begin to see your reputation as a person who's filled with joy. 
filled with the Spirit. The other thing he says, verse 20, giving thanks always for everything. So not only do you see a joyful person, you see a person filled with gratitude. He says, when the Spirit of God controls you, you begin to see more of what God is doing and less of what man is not doing. You're filled with gratitude. The Spirit is controlling you. And so the last part, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is so wildly important because talented people tend to be the hardest people to tell what to do. Because their mama told them when they were little, you can do it. And now we're like, well, you shouldn't do that. And it's like, well, no one's ever told me that before. I'm like, well, welcome to Revelation. <laughs> welcome to a new idea. No, no, but that, but listen, this is for me too. I told you last week, somebody after church just rebuked me. I was like, ooh, mm, man, I got to apply the word to myself. Submitting one to another means that I am open to hearing new information about myself as well as I can be led as well as lead. And the Bible is actually saying you may not be like that naturally, but the Spirit of God can cause you to be like that. You may not be a grateful person naturally, but the Spirit of God can cause you to be like that. You may not be a joyful person, but the Spirit of God can cause you to be that. You see, when so why do I say all this? Because look at look at what we got, look at we got to offer you. Our teams. Look what we got to offer you on our teams. For our teams, we have Bridge Kids team. That's not walking on water, y'all. That is not walking on water. We have the hospitality team. That's not lame men. That's, we just, you're not doing that. The worship team, the music team, the audio team, the video team, the visual team, the setup team, the teardown team, the administration team, the social media team, the creative team. Now, people put so much emphasis on ah, bridge kids, hospitality. Put the emphasis on team. What we are looking at, what we want you to be part of is a team. What would it look like in your life if the most important thing for you to be is a good team player? Being grateful. Being joyful. Submitting to one another. Not just your gifting, but you being a good team player. And I love it when people come here and they're wildly gifted. Well, there's people who do things in the world that are just amazing, but they're just doing hospitality. Because they're just like, hey, I just want to help out. I just want to help do what we got to do. They're like, I just want to do a small portion here. I don't have to do big things. Yeah. So that's not a big deal, right? That's not a big deal. But we've had people make that a big deal. And I pray that if you're serving in our church, that you would serve gladly and joyfully. And you would see yourself just as a small part of what God is doing. Years ago, um, Baskin and Robbins, they were struggling to 
get people to experience their 31 flavors. Most at that time, this is about 1953, most at that time were offering vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. But Baskin Robbins decided they wanted to do stuff like Rocky Road and they wanted to switch it up. But people would walk in and they would go, they had never heard of Rocky Road. They, they had never heard of Neapolitan and all this other stuff. They just like, this is new. I don't want to be a part of that. So they would, they would look through the glass at the different ice creams of the 31 flavors. And they'd look and they'd go, nah, not for me. So they came up with a brilliant idea, the pink spoons. And with the pink spoons, they would say, no, 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 no. You don't have to buy it. Just try it. And they'd say, here, 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 try it. And then, you know, and, and I know some of y'all, some pink spoon people, y'all be like, I need another one. I need to try another one of those. <laughs> Let me try another one. And the reason why 31 flavors became popular wasn't because they decided to have 31 flavors. It became popular because people just got a taste of different of the flavors. And all of a sudden, that space became more popular. What if you were just a pink spoon? that God wanted to put in the community and you want the whole thing, but you are a taste of the kingdom that God has placed. He has placed you. And what if we were just a bunch of pink spoons out there offering ourselves to the world so that people could experience the kingdom of God? I'm just offering the little bit that I have today. And what if you were limited, but God wanted to use you in an unlimited way. The point is for people to experience the power of the King. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And we ask you, Heavenly Father, that even now that you would use this time for your grace and your mercy in Christ's name. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.